This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. Well, welcome back to With You in the Weeds. We are tackling part two on the topic of broken trust. And today, I have Shay and Austin with me in the studio. Yeah, Lynn, it's good to be here. Um, you know, maybe it would be good for us to reintroduce ourselves for our new listeners. I've been hearing, uh, you know, people saying they're passing the podcast on to mm-hmm. friends and family and maybe don't know who we are, but uh, um, I'm better known as Lynn Rausch's husband. Oh, uh, please. And so since I don't we started think this, so. <laughs> But uh, no, I, I've been um, the co- one of the co-lead pastors here at the Crossing in Columbia, Missouri for over the past 20 years now. Yeah, and I'm, I'm Austin Connor, uh, not to be confused with Shay. Um, but yeah, my, I've got a wife. Her name's Polly. We've been married for 13 years. We have three kiddos, 12-year-old daughter, six and nine-year-old sons. I've been around the Crossing for almost, gosh, what is it, 15 years now. I've been a pastor for about nine. I, I worked with college students for a long time and then with our 20s ministry, and I'll be finishing up my counseling degree here in a couple months. Hallelujah. Yeah, I that'll love, be a huge relief. I love learning. Don't so much love the kind of the school part, but anyway, I'm almost done. So yeah, glad to be here. It's been a grind. And just a little bit about me. Uh, my name is Lynn, and I've been providing professional counseling here at The Crossing for 15 years. And so I'm excited for this series because we are really tackling a lot of things that we see in counseling on a day-to-day basis. And what we want to do today is really help you learn some really concrete steps that you can take when you've had trust broken in a relationship, which to be honest is all of us. I mean, you know, all of us have experienced broken trust. And in part one, um, Austin, you gave this fantastic illustration that I think is so good. It's such a good visual. And I think we got that from John and Julie Gottman. But we talked about trust as being like a jar of marbles. So picture that in your mind. And so those marbles are the small moments that you either use to build trust as you put marbles in the jar, or you can destroy trust by taking marbles out of the jar. And, you know, we've all lived long enough to know that every relationship experiences trouble at some point, whether it's a friendship, a roommate, uh, maybe with a parent, someone you work with, or your spouse, you're going to have to figure out what am I going to do when trust marbles have been taken out of the jar. And so what we want to do today is give you five critical steps to take when trust has been broken in a relationship. And these steps are actually an acronym for the word trust. I love keeping things simple so people can refer to them. They're easy to remember. 
Um, and, you know, just keep in mind, these are general principles that you can apply widely to a lot of different circumstances, but we aren't going to be able to address every instance or example of broken trust. But we do hope that these guidelines will move you in that direction of taking some first steps. So what are the five critical steps? Well, the first one is for you to take a step back. The second one is to reflect on who you're dealing with and then share your concerns. The third step is to understand the impact. Step four is set boundaries. And step five is testing it over time. Yeah, Lynn, I'm so glad we're talking about this issue today because, you know, we've all experienced a loss of trust in relationships. You know, this we could say that the the world we know is not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way God intended it because of sin. And so that affects our relationship with God. That's why we need Jesus and his forgiveness. But uh, sin also affects our relationships with others. And so uh, I, I think these steps will really help people uh, in this area. Yeah. And one more thing just before we jump in, I, I hope, you know, it's crucial to understand that God has taken and is taking right now steps to reconcile the brokenness in the world. You know, he sent Jesus to take care of the penalty of our sin, which restored our relationship with God. But God isn't only interested in healing that vertical relationship. He's also interested in healing our horizontal relationships with others. In uh, the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 18, the apostle Paul captures this really well. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That phrase, live peaceably, it doesn't just mean a gushy, gooey feeling mm. uh, like, oh, we're one big happy family, kumbaya, love mm. everybody. But instead, live peaceably, it, it does mean reflecting and taking steps on being reconciled with the people in your life who may have broken your trust. You know, it might mean using some discernment. It might mean setting some healthy and wise boundaries, which we'll get into in a second. Now, to be sure, it's not always possible to bring healing and reconciliation in relationships. I want you to hear that. And, and Paul knew this. And that's why he said at the very beginning of that verse, if possible, which assumes there might be times when it's not possible. But today, we just want to give you guidance on how you might be able to be, bring peace and healing in your relationships with others. That's great, Austin. So let's just jump in. Let's get to the first critical step you need to take when you uh, believe that another person has broken your trust. And the, the first one is, as we, as we said, as Lynn said, it's take a step back. And so uh, what do we mean by that? Well, I think it's easy to react quickly in these situations, even before we have all the facts. Mm, yeah. 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 <laughs> right. And, and so... <laughs> <laughs> so I think that a wise first step is just take a step back and mm. do a few things. And, and first of all, admit that you're hurt, mm -hmm. right? Uh, broken trust hurts. It, it hurts very deeply, even if it's just a hint of broken trust. Uh, it can be very destabilizing and upsetting. So acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. Acknowledge that you're in pain. And it's at that point when we're angry Right, we may want to lash out at the other person, uh, whether that's to confront them or fire off a post on social media. Right, we've mm -hmm. all been there. But but <laughs> lashing out in anger never accomplishes the righteousness of God, as the Bible says. Um, we blow up, but in reality, the reality is is that we maybe need to stay, take a step back, calm down, 
and make sure that we have all of the facts in a given situation. All, all I think about, if you've ever seen the movie Braveheart, uh, Mel Gibson, he's getting charged by the people and they, he just goes, hold, <laughs> hold. That's just kind of what's going through my mind sometimes. Taking a step just back. Just put me, yourself on pause. Hold. <laughs> Before you post that tweet. In yeah. response. Right. That's right. That's right. Uh, but the next thing that, that stepping back allows you to do is an important but often missed. And it is important, but it's often missed. And and I will add that this is probably an unpopular approach, especially in our current cultural climate. But it is that we should just pause and evaluate our own hearts our own lives, our own actions. Mm -hmm. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? So we needed to first take the log out of our own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. In other words, we have to examine our own hearts, right? It, it's so easy to focus and see specks in other people's lives all the while, we can't see the huge log that's in our own eye. Mm. And, and so we have to examine our own hearts. Um, in other words, I think a good question to ask is, Lord, is there any offensive way in me? Mm -hmm. um, we need at those times to humble ourselves and realize that we too are sinners who have been forgiven much. And, and so that changes how we approach people. See, when someone wrongs us, we are most tempted to what? Demonize them and assign motives and think what? They're out to get me. Um, this is a big conspiracy <laughs> where people have, <laughs> right. have gotten together and they're out to get me. Yeah. They're seeking my downfall. We begin to think that way. I know I do that all the time. And, and if, if you're like me, I like to walk around hurt and angry and, and play the victim sometimes because... For some reason, for me, playing the victim is comforting. But, but none of that helps. So, so the first point, step back, evaluate what's going on in the situation, make sure that you have all of the facts, and examine your own heart, uh, pull the log out of your own eye, and then I think that sets you up in, in, in terms of humility as you approach other people. Yeah, I think that's really good that we need to start from a place of humility. And I also think that this is important because, you know, you have to recognize that you may be bringing a history of hurt or pain from maybe how you grew up or a previous relationship, and that could be skewing your perspective on the situation. And so I, I think this first step of stepping back, it allows you to look at yourself first, kind of take ownership of your own stuff in a way before you attempt to confront or deal with the other person's behavior. And that way you can come from a place of gentleness and humility and not, you know, attacking or demonizing the other person. But it's funny because even as I say this out loud, I realize that it is so hard to do. Like I am just immediately tempted to believe the worst, assign the worst motives if I feel that I've been wronged or someone has broken my trust. I, I got I to gotta interrupt real quick. That's it. I literally have a story about that that happened last night. The oh, kids the kids are in bed. Polly and I are just lounging on the couch about to watch The Office. We're kind of plodding our way through. Uh -huh. And I came across just this funny video on Instagram that I wanted to show Polly, which funny, we're on our phones about ready to watch a show. Mm -hmm. Don't judge me. Anyway, <laughs> I playfully asked Polly, I said, hey, hey, do you like humor? Do you want to laugh right now? And I wasn't looking at her as I said it, but she didn't say anything. 
And so then I looked over at her again and she's on her phone. So I asked her again, hello, hey, you like, you like humor? Do you mm-hmm. want to laugh? Mm-hmm. And she didn't, she didn't do anything. She, she still didn't say anything. So immediately I jumped to the thought in my head, like, fine, I won't show you that video. <laughs> I never want, I never want to watch funny things together. You know, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. Right. And I was a little bit hurt. Well, it turned out there was a legit work thing that Polly was having to deal with that she just got in that moment. You know, it wasn't that she didn't want to laugh, but it, something else came up. So I tell that story just because mm-hmm. it points out perfectly what you're saying, Lynn. I quickly defaulted to believing the worst in Polly in that moment when I didn't feel like she heard or cared about what I had to say. Yeah, I, I can definitely relate. In fact, I remember early in our marriage uh, when I would get upset with you, Shay, because, you know, you weren't meeting my expectations or, you know, you'd done something that had hurt me. And really? You, and you used to say to me, Seriously? Lynn, I'm not the Antichrist. <laughs> 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 yeah, usually probably because I didn't load the dishwasher the way she wanted right. me to. But funny, yeah. it's like <laughs> it would when you said that it would actually make me even more upset. But at the same time, it kind of like drove the point home. It it was like w- what you were helping me see is that I was immediately putting you in a category of you're my enemy and you're against me and. And in that moment, too, I was believing, you know, well, I have no faults, right? Like, I'm I'm perfect. I haven't done anything wrong. And so when we take a step back, we're really evaluating. We're really looking like, hey, maybe I hold some of the blame in this as well. And so, um, you know, maybe once we take that step and we look at ourselves first, it could be, you know, maybe this offense isn't really worth confronting. Maybe, you know, love covers a multitude of sins and I can just be grace, gracious and merciful. I can just let it go. And and maybe it ends there. Yeah, it, right. It, the question is, is this a pattern, hmm. um, yeah. I think, where there may be yeah. sinning against you or um, trust has been broken somehow? Is this a pattern in their life? Um or maybe this is just a one-time thing. I'm going to uh, believe the best about them, and, and I can just let this go, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because I think in every offense, if we're confronting people or having to do conflict resolution right. every time we're offended, we're, we're not going to get anything else done, right? Yeah, right. That's really good. Uh, okay, let's move on to that second step, which is reflect on the type of person you're dealing with and share your concerns. So if you've been listening to the podcast, you might remember that back in our episode on conflict, we talked about three different types of people. So I'll just briefly go over those. The the first person is the normal sinner. This person takes the time to listen and to validate your concerns if and when you approach them to tell you how they've been hurt, right or wrong. The second type of person is the fool. And this person doesn't understand the impact they have on you or other people. And they don't really care and understanding more. You know, if you bring up how you've been hurt by them, they might blame shift might make you feel silly for bringing it up or maybe minimize the hurt. And then the third and last type of person is the evil person. They do the same thing as the fool, but they're intentional and calculated in attempting to hurt you or other people. You know, the fool does this without knowing it, but the evil person looks forward Mm. to the hurt. Now, we need to know the type of person that we're dealing with because it's going to determine the way that you'll respond. Now, Jesus, I think he implicitly commands us to do this in Matthew 7, verse 6, when he says, do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Hmm. Now, in the context of this passage, the pearl is the message of the gospel, which is of great value, obviously. And Jesus says not to share this pearl with pigs, in other words, people who don't value it and won't even hear it, 
because they're going to discard the message and will instead hurt you. Now, what I think is especially relevant for us is the fact that Jesus assumes that people know who those pigs are. Hmm. You know, he, he gives us, he's giving us permission and even guiding us to discern and evaluate who we're dealing with. And, and so this passage, it gives the broad category, calls people pigs, which is just, I think, kind of funny. Uh, but for our categories, what we're talking about, the, they're the normal sinner, the fool, and the evil person. So evaluate who this person is. And one more thing, you can't determine who you're dealing with based on one or two interactions. Yeah. You know, Shay, you, you mentioned that. Every person, myself included, can and does, we just have bad days. But instead, we need to look at people's behavior over a longer period of time, sure. maybe weeks and months of behavior. And when you do that, you can get a sense of what the norm is versus the ex- exception. You know, when you've shared your concerns, do you feel validated by the other person? Did they restate what you said in a way you agree with them? Did you see and feel genuine remorse? Or instead, did did you feel silly when you shared it? Did they make you feel silly? Did they minimize the hurt? Did you leave that interaction feeling more insecure and unsure and ashamed about yourself? Yeah. One thing I know about pigs is don't wrestle with them or you're going to get dirty. So <laughs> a lot of, lot, lot of uh, experience there. Did you Shay. do some pig wrestling? <laughs> I, I, I yeah. Out in the country? Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know about that. I preached that passage one time, Austin, and uh, it was, I think it fell on deaf ears. But, uh, it's a it's a hard saying by Jesus, but I'm glad you- Nobody wants to I, identify themselves as a pig would r- probably be my guess. Right. Right. Um, that's exactly right. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I think going back, having a, a humble heart, um, seeking clarity about the situation you're dealing with with someone, thinking through who who am I dealing with here, um, and then going to them. Maybe it's an easy conversation that you can have with with someone, or maybe you realize that you need a third party to go with you if you're going to share your concerns with that other with that other person. So yeah, you, you got to be discerning. Yeah, I think that's really helped me because it it helps me know kind of who I can and cannot trust. And honestly, I think when you really start to hone this radar, this internal radar, you begin to kind of just get more of a sense of who's a safe person, who isn't a safe person. And what I find in myself, but also as I work with clients on this, is that as you mature in this area, you find that you have fewer hurtful people or, you know, pigs, so to speak, in your life because you've trained your senses to discern this before you trust someone who should not be trusted. Thank you so much for listening to With You in the Weeds. If you like what you're hearing, text this episode to a friend and find us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. So I want to tackle the next step, the third critical step here, and honestly, it might be the most important one as it relates to whether or not you can rebuild trust after it's been broken. And that is that if you want to rebuild relational trust, it is fundamentally dependent on one thing, and that is, does the other person understand the impact that they have on you? And in counseling, we call this the, quote, like, impact question. And it's really what we spend a lot of time on when we do couples counseling, because trust really can't be built or rebuilt 
unless each person understands the impact that they have on the other. And I think that this is confirmed by neuroscience because what they've identified is that our relationships impact us really more than anything else. And it's because of how our brains are wired for trust, for safety, for security, for connection. So it makes sense that if we're in relationship with someone who has no clue, or maybe they simply just don't care what impact their actions have on us, then we need to be guarding our hearts. We need to be working through some of these steps to figure out, can trust be strengthened in this relationship or not? Yeah, you know, this impact question, I'll speak personally, and I've seen this from a lot of clients as well. This does not come naturally for me. Mm. I learned for a lot of reasons. If I'm hurt, I'm just going to stuff it. I'm going to move on. Or if I am hurt, I'm just going to keep slogging through. Mm. So to slow down and to acknowledge kind of how is this impacting me, I just want to name and recognize this might not be natural for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I genuinely didn't do this until I was almost 30. Hmm. So if you've never done that, you're in good company. Mm. Right. But once you do <clears throat> slow down, I think it can really make a lot of difference. Yeah, I, I think that's why it, that verse comes to mind in, in Peter, First Peter, I think, 3, 7, where he commands husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers are not hindered, right? Mm, it's, mm-hmm. it's a sobering passage, but I think it's, it's speaking to the idea, Peter's speaking to the idea of, understand the impact that we have on people, understand how they're wired, uh, especially in a, in a marriage relationship. But um, I, I love the point about, about uh, you have to own the impact of that you've had and mm-hmm. how you've hurt someone before trust can be rebuilt. Absolutely. Great right. point. Yeah. So as we slow down and we try to think about the impact people are having on us, there are three particular things that that normal center or you've called them, you know, kind of a safe person, somebody who really gets it, they'll do three things. So this is how we know if somebody is safe enough to, you know, bring that pearl (laughs) to. Here's the first thing they do. They listen to how we've been hurt and take ownership of what they did without defending, without deflecting, and without denying. The second thing they do is they display genuine remorse or sorrow over how they've hurt you. Now, maybe they really are emotional and are sad, But maybe they just can recognize, and you know for this person, wow, they really get it. And this is, we're talking about a godly sorrow here. Yeah. Not just I've been caught, but like I genuinely feel remorse over what I've done to you. Exactly right. And then the third thing is this person is committing to specific changes. They say what they want to do and commit to, and then they actually do it. Not perfectly, but slowly but surely over time. So those are all good markers, really, that a person gets and understands the impact that their behavior has on you. And and they can help, again, determine the type of person that you're dealing with, uh, uh, the normal, the normal sinner, the fool, or the evil person. Yeah. You know, there's a story that I think fits well uh, when we talk about broken trust and uh, in the Bible, and that is, remember, Joseph and the story of his brothers. And in in Genesis chapters 32 through 50, it's a a fascinating story. Mm -hmm. But uh, just to sum it up, if you remember, Joseph's uh, brothers uh, sell him essentially into slavery and and Joseph had a part in that because um, his his father Jacob favored him over his brothers and and 
Uh, Joseph liked to rub their noses in it. And remember, it's the they, they give them this or, or Jacob gives him this coat and um, he's kind of bragging about it. And so the, the, the brothers are jealous of him and they sell him off into slavery. And it ends up just this just this whole story of God working in Joseph's life to that he ends up um, uh, high up in Pharaoh's court in Egypt. And uh, and over time, he is put in, con- in control or in charge of the distribution of food. And there's a famine in the land. And uh, it ends up, the story ends up that his brothers uh, come to the, the prime minister's court. And, and so they're there in front of Joseph. And, and uh, the, the relationship ends up being reconciled, that he ends up, Joseph ends up forgiving his brothers. But I think what's, what we don't want to miss from that story is that over time, if you read through those chapters, you, you begin to see that the brothers started down the path of repentance of what they had done, not mm-hmm. perfectly, mm-hmm. but what they had done to, to Joseph. And of course, Joseph forgives and says, I'm not, I'm not God here. It's not my place to judge you guys. I'm going to forgive you. And the, re- the relationship was re- restored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like, Shade, to, to make sure I summarize this for our listeners, it sounds like one of the implicit natural uh, responses was his brothers repented. Mm-hmm. Like that isn't necessarily the primary part of that story, but it's kind of in the background. And we see this through a lot of different stories. When people uh, are commit sins, they repent and they're remorseful. And that relates to what we're talking about. That's signs of a healthy, normal person. <laughs> yeah. Right. So that, well, they finally yeah. got it. Yeah. Right. They, yes. they finally got the impact that their behavior had had. And so yeah. that allowed for that bridge of trust to be rebuilt. And I'm thankful, honestly, for these biblical stories because they help normalize us and they help us see that broken relationships go all the way back to the beginning. And these are things that we need to learn to navigate. So let's get on to the next critical step in managing broken trust. And this might be one of the hardest, at least it is for me. Um, And this is where we may need to set boundaries in the relationship. And the purpose of setting boundaries here isn't to punish or put a guilt trip on someone, but it's really to protect ourselves from further harm. Um, I firmly believe that our soul is our most valuable possession. And so when it's been damaged by someone's foolish behavior, maybe evil behavior, as we may come to find out, but it's, it's, it's up to us to protect ourselves from that harm and to guard our hearts. And that's where boundaries come into play. So when I put a boundary in place, I'm essentially doing it to limit their access to my heart, to my most valuable possession. And when I establish that healthy boundary, I'm also inviting the other person to demonstrate whether or not they can respect that boundary. So if I say no, and they can hear that and not try to manipulate me or cross that boundary, then that's giving me an important cue that they, quote, get it, right? That they care about my well-being and that they're willing to curb or change their own behavior in order to create safety in the relationship. Yeah, and those boundaries, they should fit with a type of person that we're dealing with, you know, back to an earlier step. So if it's a normal sinner, someone who does not display a pattern of broken trust, then the boundaries may not need to be very restrictive. You know, you might be able to resolve things fairly quickly. And in just a minute, we'll give some specific tools as to how you can build a bridge to repair that trust. 
But if this is a foolish person or someone where there's been a pattern of broken trust, then it may mean that the relationship needs to cool off. You know, you lessen your contact with them. You limit the time you spend with them. You edit the personal information you share with them. Maybe you don't go as deep. We used to share things on the seven or eight level. Maybe you're just going to stay more surface level at a two or three. You know, years ago, I remember one particular college student who was really close with her brother. But when she started uh, dating this guy who was really solid, by the way, for whatever reason, her brother didn't like this guy at all. And there was a time when she went to her brother for advice on how to manage an issue because that had been a consistent thing in their relationship. And, and her brother made her feel really silly and ashamed for asking the question, made her feel bad for even being in the relationship and said some pretty uh, kind of bad mouth the, the boyfriend. And this, this college student, she was understandably hurt by her brother's behavior. And this pattern started happening over and over over the next several months, and it was really hard for her. And so eventually, what she learned she had to do was to stop bringing things up to her brother about a relationship. Mm -hmm. She couldn't share that with him. That was the boundary that she had to put in place. Now, it was painful for her, but it stopped her from being even more hurt by her brother. Now, she didn't completely cut him off, but she just made a boundary not to talk to her brother about her relationship. Yeah, I think that's a really good example. And unfortunately, I think we do have to recognize that there are times that we are dealing with perhaps an evil person, someone who has harmful intent towards you or someone who really just, no matter how many times you've tried to communicate your concerns with them, they just don't get the impact that they have on you and they continue to bring harm into your life. And In those unfortunate circumstances, there may be times where you have to go, what I would say, like no contact with them, where you just really kind of have to end that relationship or the relationship is very distant or just non-existent. I think this is very painful. I think this is very sad. It's very unfortunate. I think it should be the last resort. But there are times that this is the case. And I think we need wisdom on that. I think that's where some wise godly counsel comes into play, talking with other people, Mm -hmm. like really making every effort on the front end to see, can this relationship be reconciled? But again, we have to recognize, you know, there are times where that person is so hurtful and they are so egregious in that pattern of behavior that a relationship really can't be maintained. And if you don't set that boundary, right, we 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 see it in the church all the time, the people we talk to and counsel, that if you don't set that boundary, even though that's a hard boundary to set, um, they're going to take you down. Yeah. And um, yeah. they may end up destroying your life, depending upon the situation. Maybe they're struggling with an addiction or mm. that sort of thing. Yeah. But the, the behavior becomes so... I don't know, toxic, Damaging. so bad yeah. that it's going to destroy you and uh, entire families are going to be destroyed. So yeah. sometimes that boundary needs to be pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that's a hard place to be, but then you have to grieve the loss of that relationship and um, put that distance there kind of for your own health and your own safety. So let's just jump into the last critical step. And that is that trust is something that you have to give the test of time. Okay. And this is where we do need to be patient. And I think that 
Today, we're really kind of programmed to think that things can be fixed quickly. You know, when trust has been broken, you know, put it in the microwave, you know, let's fix it. Let's let everything, you know, be better tomorrow. And guess what? It is not going to be fixed quickly, especially if you put the work in in these steps that we're giving you. These are things that are going to take time. But what you're looking for, generally speaking, as you test the trust over time is, is this person starting to take responsibility for themselves? Are they demonstrating genuine repentance that they get it? And do you see that change in behavior? You know, if you've asked them, can you please not criticize me in front of other people? You know, do you see a marked effort? Or when they fail, like when they break your trust again, are they quick to say, oh man, I messed up, you know, I'm sorry. And, you know, are they demonstrating that they are starting to get it. You know, maybe another change in behavior is that they are getting involved in a recovery program. You know, they're starting to go to AA. They're starting to do their own work in counseling. You know, these are concrete steps that are going to demonstrate over time that these changes are believable. And the reality is, is that over time, um, you, you may realize, hey, this is a relationship that can be restored and you're working towards that or, as we mentioned earlier, it may, you may realize, you know, this is a relationship that can't be restored because you may be willing, but the other person isn't. And they're not showing that they're taking responsibility. They're not demonstrating that they get it. And so that's where some of those hard decisions need to come into play. And we really, you know, encourage people to seek wide, wise, godly counsel in those situations. Yeah, we see that in the Bible, you know, broken mm-hmm. relationships. Jesus had broken relationships, right? Sure. Uh, people walked away from him. Um, uh, it, Judas, right, betrayed him. And uh, Judas, there was some repentance, but it was worldly repentance, right? It, he He was sorry about what he had done, but really not godly repentance. And Judas continued down that path of destruction and that relationship and was never, was never reconciled. Um, uh, contrasted with Peter, right? Hmm. Um, you know, betrays Jesus, owns up to his sin. There's repentance and, and forgiveness in the relationship with Jesus was reconciled. But my point is, is that the relationship might not go back to the way it looked originally. Mm -hmm. Keep that in mind. See, we want you to know this because holding on to what used to be will only bring heartache. But if when you can let it go and move on, that will bring relief and help you. Yeah. But we always can hold out hope for reconciliation. Um, You know, there's a phrase that we use or a formula that we use as we think about kind of how we do ministry at the crossing. But we say this, it's grace plus truth over time. Um. Right, we can always easily find ways to write people off at the get- beginning, but we always want to remain open and give grace to the possibility that there can be repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation over time. Yeah, Shay, that's really good to hear, especially the point about how um, the relationship might not go back to the way it looked. I-, I think sometimes as Christians, we think, at least I sometimes think, if I just love Jesus and forgive the other person, it's all going to go back to normal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And 
unfortunately, that's not the case. Yeah. And, and so I'm really glad that you're bringing this up and hopefully that gives you some, you know, relief and cr- practical steps going forward. Speaking of practical steps, let's land the plane. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about four practical ways to rebuild trust. These are ways to put marbles back in that jar, not mm-hmm. all at once over time, uh, but but slowly but surely over time. And they yeah. come from the Gottmans. They have this repair checklist. So I want to just list four things that that you can do. Uh, the first is share how you feel. Mm-hmm. So say things like, you know, when you did this, it made me upset. Or when you lecture me, I feel criticized, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Shay, that landed with you for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Bonus episode, marriage <laughs> counseling marriage. Yeah, with the Rouches. Right. Uh, the second thing, take responsibility of what you did and what you need to do. This is where you admit the, the plank in your eye. You know, So you might say something like, my reactions last night were too extreme and I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. That's good. Or I think I'm missing what you're trying to tell me. I'm sorry. Can you say it again? Yeah. Uh, the third thing is listen and accept influence. And this is where compromises are created. So it might sound something like, uh, okay, Shay, I'm starting to see your point. Mm. Or Lynn, I-, I-, I can agree on this part of it, but not the other part. But let's do, let's agree on this part. Mm-hmm. Or wow, you know, that's a great point. I never thought of it like that. I know a couple that um, they told me that uh, they spent $3,000 on marriage counseling one time too. And the best thing they got out of it was the phrase, you might be right. Well, <laughs> $3,000 <laughs> phrase. <laughs> but it transformed but it their, marriage. their marriage. It right. saved their marriage. You right. might, but that phrase, yeah. you, you, you might, might be right. right. You might be right. Yeah. They right. spent three grand That's on that, one. but That's right. it one. helped. Three yeah. grand might yeah. be right. Mm-hmm. Last one, the fourth, and we've talked about it, you set a boundary. So it might be like, Hey, can you give me a five minute break? I'm starting to get frustrated. Or let's just agree to disagree. Mm -hmm. Or we might see things differently and that's okay. Yeah, I think, you know, this is really good because many of us didn't grow up with this being modeled to us. We just saw trust being broken and then there was just a cutoff. Well, we never speak speak to Uncle Joe again, right? Right. And then (laughs) the relationship is over. And in childhood, you might not have been given some really good examples of what it looked like to faithfully work on rebuilding trust in a relationship. The good news is, is that even if you didn't learn this growing up, you can learn it now. Never too late. It is never too late. And so we really hope that the five critical steps that we have talked about today are things that you can put into practice, things that you can write down and return to time and again, because we know that offenses will come. We're going to deal with this in our lives, and we just want you to be empowered to work on rebuilding trust and, when at all possible, to live at peace with others. So thanks, Shay. Thanks, Austin. This has been a great episode. Yeah, I'm glad to, glad to do this with you guys. Thank you, guys. Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at withyouintheweeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.